All right, so we are in this series called The Justice of Christmas, which is kind of an interesting name for a Christmas series. And, and, and this is our Advent series. And, and if you're new or if you're not sure, or if you're like me, you didn't grow up in churches that use these kind of words, Advent means coming, right? It's this time of year in the church calendar where church, the church across the world really celebrates the coming of God to earth, the, the arrival of Christ, God in the flesh. And so what, what typically happens is every year we'll go through the birth stories and we'll see what the birth stories reveal to you and to me about uh, Jesus and about God and about who he is. But this year as we, uh, as Redemption was looking at some of these stories, we realized that not only do the events that shape uh, uh, Christmas and the Advent story show us who God is, but the very people that Jesus reveals himself to in the beginning reveals who Jesus is and shows who Jesus is. And, and we've, we saw that. It shows that, that Jesus is a God of justice. That, that not just, and some of us hear that word justice and we just think punishment. But really it's this idea to make things right. To make things as they should be. And so as we've looked at this, at this Advent story, we've realized that, that Jesus came to bring justice, to make things right in the social sector, in the economic sector, and in the racial sector. And we saw that, that Jesus is, uh, he doesn't play favorites. He, he loves people who are poor. He loves people who are rich. He loves people who are socially weird and awkward, and he loves people that are cool, right? There's not a lot of those. And he loves people of all races. And and today, we're going to begin to talk about this last sector, and I think Jesus redeems all things. So I think there's many more sectors. We we could probably do this series for 10 weeks. But this last sector we're going to look at Jesus bringing justice to is the spiritual sector, our spiritual world. So when I was in college, I, uh, I was an elementary education major, and when you start doing that, you start like student teaching or student interning, really. And so you'll spend a semester with a teacher, and you'll kind of be like their assistant in their classroom during the school week. And so in my first, I got excited, I got placed in my first classroom, and I'm driving there, and it's a pretty... Um, a pretty broken school in a pretty broken area, and so I, you know, my I have a heart for that, so I was excited. And I get into this classroom, and I look around, and it is a war zone. It is a disaster. I look everywhere, like there's just things piled everywhere. There's just there's kids piled everywhere. There's just all kinds of mess going on. And the teacher, she was a mess. I think she was just one you know, bad day away from just completely breaking. I think she had like a little twitch and she was just she she was just trying to catch up all the time and everything was just a complete mess and disaster. But the part that was hard for me was I would I I, I saw this mess but even though my placement teacher kind of had this twitch about her, it seemed like she just kind of grinned and bared it. it. It seemed like she never even acknowledged this entirely messy classroom, this entirely unorganized lesson plans and, and all these things. And, and that threw me off. And then when other teachers from the school would walk in, they would just act like, oh, just another day in this classroom. And then, I, you know, I talked to, the, to my uh, counselor at ASU who placed me in that classroom and I said hey like that classroom is like pretty crazy and my counselor's like oh I don't remember that I was in there and I was like 
Ah, transferring. Um, and so I, I was just, I had these eyes to see this mess in the classroom, and it seemed like nobody around me could see that this classroom was just totally and utterly broken. And I think when it comes to our spiritual lives, it's kind of like that too. There's people that can spiritually see our, our world and see that spiritually something's wrong. Spiritually, something is not as it should be. And, and uh, Christians and non-Christians alike, I think, can uh, have this in common, where they say spiritually something's going on here. And today's story, we're going to see two people that spiritually have eyes to see the mess, spiritually have eyes to see that the classroom is messy. And so what is spirituality, right? What is that? So in the, it, in the Christian sense, in the Bible, and that's the sense I believe in, it's basically how we connect to God. Our spiritual lives are, are, are how we connect to God. And, and you could go further and say there's the spiritual component of the world where there, there's the spiritual realm that we don't see, things going on with angels and demons and other types of things, and God's, God, or not God's, God moving uh, in this place. In, in this realm. But spiritually, at the base level, our spiritual lives are how we connect to God. How we connect to Him. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, what that sounds like for you sometimes is you say, I'm spiritual, and it's kind of how you connect to what, something bigger than yourself. That's how I've heard it described, is how you connect to something bigger than yourself. And what I want to contend today is that really the thing that's bigger than yourself is the God of the Bible. And that, that God came to fix your connection with him. Okay, and so we're going to look at these two characters um, in the Advent story. Will you guys turn to Luke chapter 2 with me? If you don't know where it is, Luke chapter 2 is in the New Testament. The New Testament starts off with these four st- stories and accounts of Jesus' life. And Luke is the third one. And we're going to be in verse 22. And when the time came for the purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Hey, let's stop there. Now let's get this out of the way. Oh, that's where the two turtle doves in that song comes from, right? You're all thinking that, and you're going to be stuck on that for like five minutes, because I'm not that good of a preacher. Uh, I'm not that engaging. No, uh, and so that's where it comes from. And that actually comes from, it shows that Mary and Joseph, there, there was a poverty about them. In Leviticus, it said, normally when the firstborn, you'd make a sacrifice with a lamb. But if you didn't have enough money, you could buy two turtle, turtle doves and, then, and, and sacrifice them instead. And you had to sing that while you did it. And that last part was a joke. Uh, someone like, that, it doesn't say that. Uh, and so anyways, we have Mary and Joseph. All these events that we had been hearing about the last few weeks here all have happened, essentially. And Jesus comes, uh, and so Mary and, Jesus, or Mary and Joseph come to dedicate Jesus to the Lord. And there's this man there named Simeon. And this man is, is one of the characters who spiritually sees the messy classroom. And so this man, Simeon, he 
it says that he's righteous and he's devout and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And there's this, this phrase in there that I think is really important for us. And we sing it in Christmas songs, but I think we have to talk about it today. And so that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So Simeon, this righteous, devout, holy man, was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So what is this consolation? Consolation means comfort. It means, for, for Israel, it means not only comfort of God, but rescue from the situation they're in. And so Simeon was waiting for Israel to be comforted and rescued by God. And so why did, the, why did Israel, though, need this comfort, and why did Israel need this rescue? And, and, and like we said a few weeks ago, this book is one story. Some people treat it as like a bunch of fairy tales that have lessons, but that's not it. It's, it's one story with one big lesson, which is that we need Jesus to redeem us. And, and, and there's other minor lessons in there as well, don't get me wrong, but it's not like fables. And so because of it's this one story, we have to go back to the beginnings of the story to understand what's going on in this part of the story. And at the beginning of the story, we have this story of God who creates everything. He creates the whole earth. And he creates animals and water and plants and, and all kinds of stuff. And one of the last things he creates is humankind. And he creates a man named Adam and he creates a woman named Eve. And what's amazing is that everything was good. Adam worked as he should. Eve worked as she should. They understand their, their role and their purpose in the world. And what's even better is they spiritually were connected to God in a way that sounded like walking. Like they walked together. Now, God is spirit, so that's why we kind of call it spiritual life, right? Because the Bible says that God the Father and the Holy Spirit are spirit. And so they had this relationship, though, with God that was close, and it wasn't broken, and there was something good about it. But unfortunately, Adam and Eve eventually are deceived. And God had this, this rule for them that just said, don't eat from this tree. And this and Satan came in the form of a serpent and just said, hey, eat from that tree and you'll become like God. You'll become like him. And so Adam and Eve, they do this. They, they, they eat from the tree that God said don't eat from and they become broken. They become sinful. It, before, they could look out to God. They could look out to God and glorify him. God created humans to glorify him and Adam and Eve were doing that in the garden. But then once they sinned and once they said, hey, I want to be like God, what they were doing, what they, the connection that they had with God became broken because they began to look inward. They began to look at themselves instead of for their created purpose, which was to glorify and praise God. And so this fall happens, and the injustice of the fall is Adam and Eve sinned, and they're the first people. But Adam passed sin on through to the whole human race. So you and I weren't there. We weren't in the garden. I think we would have sinned as well. But either way, Adam passed sin down to us, so now we're born sinful, we're born broken, and we are born sinning. Okay, Stay, keep that in your head for now. And so their relationship with God becomes disconnected. It becomes broken. They're spiritually broken before God. They, they are physically kicked out of the Garden of Eden because of this brokenness between them and God. And God takes this people 
through the, this forefather Abraham, and he makes a people, and he calls them the people of Israel. And Israel, live, Israel lives under this promise that God even made in the garden to them that he would one day come and he would defeat sin and death. That he would one day come and fix this. And so these people of Israel live under this promise and covenant of God. And you'll find this story all throughout the Old Testament. And they live under this promise and their covenant. And kind of the stipulation with God was like, hey, if you live this out, if you follow me, if you reflect me to the world as you initially, humankind, was created to be, things will go well for you, Israel. But if you don't, I will discipline you. I will send things to punish you for your wrongdoing so that hopefully your hearts would be turned back to me. And so Israel, they're humans like you and me, and so they, they try to follow the covenants, but they can't. They turn to gods. They turn inward. They get selfish. They kill each other. They do all kinds of crazy things. And so God, one of the ways he punishes them is he sends other countries in, other people that are not considered the people of God. He sends them in to just... Take Israel and bring them to exile. So basically they take people out of the country of Israel and take them into their own country. And there's various countries that did this, but most notably was Babylon. And in the midst of this time, Israel would live in Babylon and they lived in this brokenness and they knew that they were there because of their sin and because Babylon, in a sense, was sent by God. And they would sit there and God would send these prophets amongst the people, and he he would actually just give these prophets words of his. And and these prophets, one of the biggest themes of the prophets is, hey, a Messiah is going to come. There's going to be an anointed one who's going to come, and he's going to fix all this. He's going to bring justice. And we need to turn from our evil ways and put our hope in the Messiah. And I just wanted to read from one of these prophets, Isaiah 61. You don't have to turn there. But Isaiah 61 says this, and this is a, a known messianic chapter of the Bible. It's almost as if the, the Messiah is speaking directly to us. God is speaking directly to us. And it says this, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And so the prophets would tell these story, uh, tell these prophecies about this Messiah that was going to come and he was going to do these things. Like free, bring good news to the poor, free the captive, uh, break the prisoner out of jail. And then eventually the prophets stopped speaking. God stops giving words in this kind of biblical sense to the people of Israel. And Israel is left waiting for about 400 years. And that's where we get to Simeon. Simeon is this man of God who has read the prophets and he understands the truth of what they say. He understands that God wants to bring justice. 
I find it interesting. Isaiah 61, 8, later in that chapter, it says this. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. And so we have this guy, Simeon, who is waiting for the consolation and the comfort of Israel. He's sitting there and he, he's read Isaiah. He's, he knows about Isaiah 61. He hears about this God who's going to comfort and make them oaks of righteousness because they can't be on their own. And so he's waiting for the consolation of Israel because he knows that he needs it and Israel needs it. Now let's spring back forward to our story because I think that background is important for us to understand all that's happening here. And it says this in verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he, and he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. So the, the next part of the story is Simeon is swept up to the temple and he's told by God that you're going to see this Messiah. You're going to see the anointed one. You're going to see Christ who's come to bring justice and make things as they should be. And I love what he says. Note what he says. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. This is why it's significant. He was looking at a baby. He was look, looking at probably a 41-year-old baby, 41-day-year-old baby, sorry. I was like, oh, that's an old baby. Uh, God does miraculous things. No, uh, a 41-day-old baby. And God is, and Simeon is looking at this baby and he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Now it was popular in Israel to believe that their salvation was going to be some sort of king kicking Rome out because Israel was still kind of in exile. It was more of an occupation where Rome controlled all of Israel and they could not truly be the people of God because Rome was in charge. Caesar was in charge. And so they expected this king to come and just kick out Rome. So it's, very, it's a very strange thing for Simeon to look at this baby and say, my eyes have seen your salvation. But it's not strange because he understands the spiritual brokenness of the world around him. He understands what the Old Testament was really saying about the Messiah. He knew that Israel, although they needed a physical comfort, they much more needed a spiritual comforter. And so Simeon is excited. And know what else he says? He says, this salvation is going to come for all people, not just the people of Israel. That was a confusing idea for culturally the people of Israel that day, but biblically that's not a confusing idea. As we saw in the garden with Adam and Eve, God promised to them that he would one day come back and fix this whole thing, not just for the people of Israel. And so we, like Simeon, I think we need to understand that we live in spiritually broken times. That we are disconnected from God because of our sin. And that Jesus is the one, his advent is who is going to bring about this justice. 
Let's continue the story. Verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So this is kind of confusing. So there, there's a couple things Simeon's saying there. It's first, when he says that aside to Mary, that a sword will pierce her heart also, he's referencing that she's one day going to watch Jesus die. And it's going to pierce her soul. A mother watching her child die is devastating. And she was, she, he was foreshadowing, he was foretelling, really, what was going to happen to Jesus one day and what was going to happen to her emotionally. But before that, he talks about how this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. And that's, a, that's important because what Simeon is saying is that this message that the Messiah is going to bring, he is about peace, but it's going to divide people. And we find out from the rest of the Bible, it's because our own sinfulness. We'd rather look inward than look outward. And so Jesus' message is essentially, look outward. Look to me. Put your hope and, and trust in me. But, but instead, people go, no, no, I'd rather put my hope and my trust in myself. And it's kind of just random, and I, I was thinking about just skipping those two verses. It, but I think it, we can relate in the sense that right now I'm, I'm saying, hey, we're all spiritually broken. I'm saying that to everybody in the room. You're all spiritually broken. And that's hard to hear. And if you hear, Christian or not, are starting to go, no, Anthony, I'm not spiritually broken. You're wrestling with this word, this word the same way that Simeon prophesied we would. It's divisive. It's hard for us as humankind to hear that we're broken, that we need Jesus, that we need God to save us. It's hard for us to hear. And it's hard for us to hear because we're spiritually broken, because there's a disconnect between us and God. Now let's move on. There's a, another little story here at the end about another person that just sees the, the spiritual brokenness around her. Verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. I, so we have this next character, Anna. She's a prophetess, right? And, and I love how God does things. He kind of just sweeps up this guy, Simeon, who has no title that we know of. And he gives Simeon these prophetic words, and yet there's this woman, Anna, who's a prophetess, who spends most of her time in the temple, it sounds like, and God doesn't give her the words. But because she understands her spiritual brokenness, and she understands the world's spiritual brokenness, it does, she does not freak out. And listen, she's been, it says that she was married basically seven years, if you didn't catch that, and then she's been a widow till she was 84, and so she was probably a little bit of a social outcast in that society, or at least economically an outcast in that society, because she, it was hard for her to provide for herself. But we don't know all her background. And so she, though, hears what Simeon is saying and sees Jesus as a baby. And instead of feeling jealous, why isn't my spiritual connection on point right now? She just rejoices because she has been waiting for the redemption of Israel as well. 
She has been waiting for God to come and take Israel from the dark place that they were and bring them to a bright place. She had been waiting, really, because she knew that, that not only Israel would be saved, but all the world would be saved through this Messiah, through the Son of God. And so she goes about, and she's singing, and she's praising God, and she's telling everyone about this redemption. Now, I want us to sit and look at these characters, and we should always want to be like Jesus, first and foremost. But they see that the world is spiritually broken, and we need to see that our worlds are spiritually broken, too. We need to see that you and me are spiritually broken. We cannot connect to God in the way that we want to, right? So I grew up in the church, and one thing that's really hard for me in the church is often when I was growing up, but hearing about these deep connections people had with God and then feeling like I couldn't hear from God. And even today, I feel like I, I wish I could just talk to God. I wish I could text him. I wish I could call him up and say, God, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret, or something like that, and just hear from him. But there's a brokenness in our relationship. There's a disconnect spiritually between us. And so I'm broken spiritually. And now you might be over here. You might not be a Christian. But I, I, I want to contend lovingly that you're broken spiritually too. And I say lovingly because the best thing for you is to understand this and to connect back to God one day. And so I know a lot of people, this is really common in Flagstaff. You say, hey, like, what do you, what do you believe in? And they'll be, I don't, I don't really like organized religion. I'm just, I consider myself very spiritual though. And there's, there's something good about that. They want to connect to something that's bigger than themselves. And there's something good about that. But where it goes bad and where it's broken, I think, is the ways in which you try to connect to that inner thing, or that, that thing bigger than yourself. Often you meditate and look inward or you get crystals, or you try to balance your chakras, or you go to a vortex, and, and some of that stuff sounds silly, but people do this. And friends of mine do this. And here's why I, I want to say you're broken. You might say, like, hey, Anthony, like, I feel really good when I do that stuff, so please don't knock it. But what, what I want to say is, you're not connecting to the God of the universe, which is who, is who you were made to be connected to. And what's more is, you, you don't have a super deep connection with him through doing that stuff. I've yet to meet someone that I said, hey, uh, that, that do, does the crystals and the vortexes and the sh- balancing their chakras and saying, hey, I got this question. Can you ask God for me? And then going, yeah, let me just go do this over here and I can hear from God perfectly. They can't. They're, they're just as broken as me over here trying to hear from God or wanting to text God. And so we're spiritually broken and we want we need to understand this for our benefit. Jesus came, the advent of Jesus came to bring justice to that. To bring justice to our spiritual lives. To make it as it should be. To connect us to God as we should be connected to him. So Jesus came and we see the advent story. He comes as a baby. He becomes, it's God in the flesh. That's what Emmanuel means. So God comes in the flesh and he grows up and he lives as a man, and as Jesus lives this earth, he actually gives us a picture of what it's like to be spiritually connected to God perfectly. All the time he has a relationship with the Father. All the time he's guided and empowered and led and has a relationship with the Holy Spirit, especially if you read through Luke. Luke. 
you'll see that. That Jesus gives us this picture of, of what it means to be connected to God. What it means to be one with God. And he is God, so granted, it's a little bit easier for him. But he gives us this picture of a, of a good spirituality, not a broken spirituality. And he could do that because he never sinned. He didn't have the thing that Adam passed on. As we saw a few weeks ago, God just made Jesus in Mary's uterus. He made him there. And so even though Jesus was a human, he was set apart from our sinfulness. And there is this, there's this idea, there is this component to justice sometimes where punishment is needed. I don't like that. I wish there wasn't. But there, there's just, there is a component to justice, to making things right, to where punishment is needed. And Jesus, he said, listen, I've done this correctly. I've lived the life humankind can't. So I want to take on that punishment they deserve. And you might be going, Anthony, why do I deserve this punishment, this injustice that Adam gave? If Adam passed this sin onto us, why do I deserve this punishment? And you deserve it because you perpetuate the lie that Adam does. Even though we're born broken and sinful, you choose to sin. You choose to look inwardly instead of look to God. And so Jesus said, you know, just like one man, Adam, brought this sin to the world, brought this injustice to the whole world, Jesus said, I, one man, Jesus, am going to bring justice to the world. I'm going to bring righteousness to the world. I'm going to take on the punishment myself. And so we do not have a very, we don't have an unfair God that just lets Adam spread this disease and then we all have to figure it out and make a mess of ourselves. No, Jesus came and he became the true and greater Adam that did not fall to sin. And he can pass that on to us. And so Jesus, you know the story. Jesus went to the cross. He died on the cross for our sins. And God poured out that punishment for sin on Jesus in that moment. And Jesus dies. And then he comes back to life. And here's what's amazing. And we miss this a lot as Christians. I miss this a lot. But when we trust in that, when we trust that Jesus did those things to connect us back to the Father, an amazing thing happens in Christianity. It says that the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. We believe in a triune God. That, mean God, that means God is three distinct persons, yet one God. Let's talk later about that. And so the Spirit, whose God, comes and lives with us. Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus' life, Jesus' resurrection reconnects us spiritually to the Father. So much so that God's very spirit lives inside you and me when we trust in God. When we trust in what Jesus did. That's amazing. And here's what's, here's what's amazing. is You might say then, Anthony, why can't you over here hear from God all the time through text message or whatever? And it's because Jesus is still redeeming this world. Jesus is still redeeming us spiritually. He wants everybody that is possible to be saved. And so now we wait in this time where the Holy Spirit lives in us and it's almost going to take a lifetime for each and every one of us for the Holy Spirit to reconnect our hearts every day back to God. So yes, in the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're connected back to God because of what Jesus did. But every day we need the gospel again. Every day we need the Holy Spirit to come in and remind us of our connection to God, remind us of Jesus' work that God has connected back to God. 
We need the Holy Spirit. God is gracious to us, and he does that so that as many people as possible have justice. So as many people as possible, that their hearts become as they should be. Friends, we need to see that this is true about ourselves. We need to see that we need Jesus. I want to go back to Isaiah 61. Because I think it just gives us a spiritual picture of our hearts. And as I was reading this week, I could not help but feel like, man, this is a picture of my heart. And this is a picture of what Jesus has done for me. So I want to read through this first verse especially and apply it to my spiritual brokenness. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. That's Jesus. Because the Lord has anointed me. Jesus, that's what Christ means. So Jesus is to bring good news to the poor. Listen, friends, I'm spiritually poor because I convince myself on a weekly basis that I need things or stuff or money in order to be rich. There is something spiritually wrong with me, and that's why I think that. There's a spiritual disconnect. Jesus has been sent to bind up the brokenhearted. I'm brokenhearted because I am not connected to my creator as I once was. We feel that as humankind. Something's not right. There's something more to life. We all, a lot of people say that. And what, the thing that is more is Jesus, is to be connected to our creator. And I'm brokenhearted because that's broken. Jesus came to proclaim liberty to the captives. I am a captive to sin. Because my sin dominates me and makes me do dumb stuff and breaks my own relationships when I choose it. But even when I'm not sinning, other people's sin come and dominate me and treat me as if I'm a captive. Jesus opens the prison to those who are bound. Jesus opens the prison to those who are bound. I'm bound by my sin. I'm bound by my sin spiritually. If I just look to myself and I just look to my sin, that's the picture. I'm in a prison cell. I can't help but look at myself or the prison walls, and my sin often causes me to do that. I might be happy in my cell or whatever, but my sin causes me to just look inward and be trapped in this state of disconnect from God. But friends, because of Jesus, I'm rich without money. Because of Jesus, I'm no longer poor. That's the good news. Jesus came and he said, listen, you're rich if you have me. You're rich if you trust in me. Right? If I, when I trust in Jesus, I'm no longer brokenhearted because Jesus comes in and he fixes my heart. My heart of stone that's broken and in shambles. He makes it a heart of flesh that is soft and in connection with the Father who created me. I'm no longer a captive because Jesus himself came to defeat sin and its ugly oppression of us. And I'm no longer a prisoner because Jesus rips my chains off and he shows me a new way. He shows me a way that's not self-centered. He shows me what I was created to be, which is someone to glorify God. Jesus spiritually fixes us. And it's because he cares about justice. It's, it's, 
no coincidence that God in this chapter says, I love justice. And when we, if we can just trust that Jesus has come to do that, this is what happens to us. Verse 10 and 11 of Isaiah. I, because God has fixed my heart, because God has freed me, because God has given me good news, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. God does the work in our hearts. God spiritually saves us. God spiritually connects us back to him. And one day he's going to come and we will be able to be oaks of righteousness. And right now we can already tap into that because of what Jesus did. But we live in the already done but not yet fully realized. And it's not yet fully realized because Jesus is working justice everywhere that he can before he comes back. Friends, we need to... If we trust in Jesus, he begins to connect us back to God. He makes us beautiful, right? He is, the picture is of a bride. We're broken, we're in shambles, we're ugly. But God sees beauty in us, uh, in us because he's made that beauty, because we're in the image of God, and he redeems that beauty. We need Jesus, friends. We, he's our consolation. He's our comfort. If you're here and you don't feel comforted by God, it's because there's a spiritual disconnect and you need to believe in the truth that Jesus saved you. And I'd love to sit with you if that's something you want to talk about sometime. Jesus is real. His coming was real. All these stories are real. And it's about a real God who wants to make things as they should be. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for our consolation. God, thank you for restoring us to be people that are back in the garden with you. Jesus, thank you for letting us live in the already but not yet. Thank you that we can be connected now and each and every day the Holy Spirit is going to connect us back to you. And so God, I have two prayers. One is for Christians in the room that feel disconnected from you. And I would just ask in this moment right now that they would hear the Holy Spirit clearly and loudly or they would understand the Holy Spirit's words through scripture clearly and loudly in a way that's true for their hearts. And that they would understand they're connected back to you. Not because they pray right, but because Jesus has made a way back to you. God, I also want to pray for anybody in here that's not a Christian and want to identify as a Christian. God, do, do an amazing work in their heart right now. Whatever hurdles they have, whatever mind blocks they have in trusting and believing in your word and believing that the testimony of the Bible is true, God, break that. Holy Spirit, show them who you are. Show them uh, how you've been wooing them back to you. 
And God, I just want to thank you for coming to the world to socially redeem us. And coming to the world to economically redeem us and to racially redeem us and reconcile us. And God, thank you for coming to spiritually redeem us because that's something each and every heart needs. God, thank you for your justice. Thank you for being a God that wants to make things as they should be. Jesus, we love you. Help our hearts to celebrate you this Advent season. Amen.